Grief is the normal and natural reaction to loss of any kind. Grief is also then the conflicting feelings we experience when there's an end of or a change in a familiar pattern of behavior. I want the church to be a place where the brokenhearted can come, broken down, discovering that my partner has betrayed me, and I can come there and I can fall on my knees and cry and just be like, cool, that's normal, that's good. Yeah. God is meeting her in that place. Grief can take care of itself, but to get the full value of joy, you must have somebody to divide it with. Mark Twain. Oh, Mark. Mark, 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 Mark. Such a wise, wise man. <laughs> or is he? I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. I don't know. But it is a wise quote. It is. Do you agree I with see it? where he's going. Yeah. I see where he's going there. I absolutely believe the second half that we need to get the full value of joy. You must have somebody to divide it with. Joy is definitely so much better experienced with your people. Yes. Right. With others. But the first part, grief can take care of itself. I, I understand what he's saying. But on today's podcast, we we have uh, a lovely grief coach on. She's delightful. Uh, and she highlighted quite a bit. We had a great conversation about how we really do need community. Yeah. Like, yeah, grief is deep. It's personal. It's it's unique. It's 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 within ourselves. But but isolation is can be dangerous. Absolutely. Can be uh, harmful. Yeah, yeah. Our our guest today is Hannah Walker. Wow, she, what a delightful person she is. I mean, she's been through so. grief. She clearly understands that she's been trained on the subject. Uh she walks others through their own grief process and she's definitely one of those people that after listening to the podcast we're going to want to have back on because I think she has a lot more to to share with us and we have a lot more to learn from her. I don't know about you. I mean, we all know I, if you've been through betrayal, you understand grief in a way that many won't ever. I often de describe it as a, as a as a feeling of something trying to claw its way out of your body. That's it so is well so said. it's such a visceral experience. So on today's podcast, we have Hannah that is that is sharing what it looks like to go through this and to go through it in healthy ways. If if you're f familiar with grief and you've maybe been through some of your own and and processed a lot and feel like you know a lot about it, I would encourage you to actually listen to this because as someone who is also familiar with grief and has gone through it and has you know worked on it, I felt like I lo I learned a lot today. Oh gosh! Um, and and yeah. this podcast is very lighthearted. She's a wonderful woman um, who is just so delightful. She is. I think when we were um, done recording, I, I used the adjective delicious. She's she just, is. <laughs> I just want to eat her with a spoon. She is, she never stopped smiling. Her eyes sparkle. Mm -hmm. She's also a worship leader. She loves the Lord. She, she embodies what I imagine when the scripture talks about fullness of joy. Yeah. And it's really encouraging to me to know that she, she grieved so deeply because she lost her mother, which was her person her best friend in the whole wide world. And she processed her grief in a healthy way. So it was encouraging to me to see that she could go through something so devastating. And we're all going to have those moments of devastation and loss in our lives. Uh, and yet come out of that, having processed grief well, and, and being able to embody joy. That's yeah. so promising for the yeah. rest of us. <laughs> Enjoy today's episode, friends. <laughs> 
Welcome to the Betrayal Recovery Transformation Podcast, your place to reclaim your life after betrayal. My name is Jen Howie. Hi, friends. My name is Chris Rocha, and on today's podcast, we have Hannah Wachter. Her website says she's a warm cup of tea for your grieving heart, and if that doesn't sum her up perfectly, I have no idea what would. She's such a delight, and we're so excited for you to meet her. Yes, Hannah has been coaching, encouraging, and building others up for more than 14 years. She's done it with kindness and clarity, and she helps others turn their pain into purpose by cultivating healthy growth and better navigating change. In essence, Hannah helps you recover and discover, empowering you to be your very best self. As a seminarian turned makeup artist turned coach, Hannah has served as a gentle hand on your back, encouraging you to step forward, look in the mirror, and see what others see in you. She's a gifted writer and speaker and a singer, worship leader, and is determined to use her voice to help others know and believe their value and worth. Well said. Welcome, Hannah, to the podcast. Thank you so much for carving out some time out of your busy schedule and being with us today. Oh my goodness. I am so honored to be here and just to share my heart and be hopefully a source of encouragement to anybody listening. So thanks for inviting me. So Hannah, would you just help our guests get to get to know you a little bit better? Tell us about yourself, how you became a grief coach, and a little bit about what you do for fun. Oh, absolutely. Let's see. So Hannah Wachter, I live in Happy Valley, Oregon, right outside of Portland. I'm a wife and I'm a stepmom to four kids, and I actually have two grandkids, believe it or not. Wow. Um, yeah, it's super fun to play with them. You are the most beautiful, youngest looking grandmother ever. <laughs> wow. Okay, sorry. You hey. too, Jen. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Listeners didn't yeah. see, but I made a, crit, a face at Chris. <laughs> like, wait a second. <laughs> You're hold like, on hold a up. Cheers to grandparenting. Hold yes, up. That's cheers. right. That's right. It is so much fun. Let's see. I'll first share what I love to do for fun. So when I'm working out, I love to go for walks and I kickbox and that is super fun for me. And then, I mean, I don't know. I just love hanging out with people, but I'm a big reader. I love to read. I'm into murder mysteries and things like Mm. that. So I read all those kinds of stuff. So that's like some stuff I do for fun. But I originally grew up in Washington, D.C., and I grew up in an abusive home, and that was really the impetus for me moving out here in my early 20s. I just was like, I need to get away. I need to make a clean break. Um, I think somewhere along the line as a child, I decided that instead of being a hurt person who hurt people, I wanted to be a healed person who healed people. And Mm so I've always been on this healing journey and trying to um, not live out of my wounds, find healing and hope for myself so that I could offer that to other people. And so that eventually through many different pathways, like you said, I've, I've been to seminary and then I did, I was a makeup artist for a while, but my goal has always been to speak into people's hearts and lives. And so eventually I felt God just saying, you know what, I have more for you. Um, and so I stepped into full-time coaching about three to four years ago and I absolutely love, love it. It's super rewarding for me. Hmm. Um, and then how I became a grief coach is simply because my mom my mom died very suddenly, very unexpectedly about a year and a half ago. And I am a very open person and I have a very open social media profile. And so like most things, I was like, well, I'm just going to jump on and talk about it. And I'm just going to process my grief here in this space. And 
I found myself getting one, one or two different kinds of responses from people. The first response was either that people were really well-meaning and wanted to say the right thing, but they ended up saying things that were really hurtful and painful and kind of compounded the grief or made me angry because I felt they were insensitive or just they kind of just really missed the mark. So that was one type of response. And then the other response I was getting from people was, wow, you articulating your journey, your grief journey, and your experience is really helping me heal. It's really therapeutic for me. I've never been able to process the loss of my brother in seven years because I've never had a safe space to to share some of the things, and you're sharing them, and it's helping me. And so all of that just really stirred stirred me up. And I was like, I, I think we need to do better with each other, especially when it comes to this, when it comes to grief, we just lived through a pandemic and we're still not comfortable with talking about grief and loss. And that was very confusing to me. Um, I, I made a button right after my mom died, probably a month or two after my mom died. I'll show it to you. It says, um, please be gentle with me. I'm grieving. Mm. And I wore it. I wore it everywhere I went oh because we don't wear black anymore. Right. And I feel yeah. like the tradition of wearing black was so important because it was a signifier to people that, Hey, that person just went through something hard. I need to be gentle with them. I need wow. to be tender. I need to lower, you know, maybe lower my expectations a little bit. And so I wore that around and I can't even begin to tell you the beautiful responses I get from people like the barista or whatever. It was just amazing. But um, someone at my kickboxing studio saw that I had that button and then she approached me about um, the grief recovery method and she, I didn't know what it was, but I looked into it. And when I got the book and read it, I was like, this is it. This is the educational mm -hmm. tool mm -hmm. and the safe space that I think people really are looking for, but aren't aware of. And I want to get certified in this and I want to help people, um, help people find this tool and have this education so that we can, we can be better with each other as we walk through grief because grief is going to find us all of us. So, uh, we need to, we need to do a little better. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, just <laughs> are you a little gobsmacked right now? Well, you had the advantage of meeting Hannah before I did. So this is actually my first time meeting her. Mm -hmm. And, and I just, there were, there were so many thoughts that were going through my mind. I, the button, I'm like, I want that button. And then realized that, you know, I, my, my first question that came to mind is like, where, where do I get the button? Right. Um, there is something really beautiful about that, you're right. Back in the day, everyone wore black and you wore it for a long period of time. Yeah. And I never really, I never even honestly even stopped to think about why people wore black. I wore black all the time. Right. People probably think I'm, no, people don't think I'm grieving, but that button, how beautiful, how differently mm. would I encounter somebody mm. if I just took into a moment to consider what they're experiencing? And it, you know, as a, as a betrayed, recovering betrayed spouse, that would feel a little, like it's bringing attention to me. Mm. Um, but at the same time, man, I could have really used mm -hmm. a kind response. Yeah. Um, during that time. Yeah. 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 No, I, I love that. I, first of all, now I'm thinking about the button cause you're not the first person <laughs> who's been like, why aren't, where can I get that? Yeah. Like, yeah. Can you please do you a Shopify, <laughs> Hannah? Yes. Yes. And I do want to say that I actually, that is like my goal in the next month to get that up and running for people because I've had so many people ask me for that. Mm -hmm. um, but Jen, I love what you're saying because 
you know, I think when people would read something like that, they instantly would assume like, oh, who did you lose or Mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, Mm -hmm. people also wanted to tell me about their grief. They'd ask me, but then they'd also want to tell me about their grief after the button. But that makes me think about what would, what would be something, um, that as, as a woman, as a person going through betrayal trauma, what would be something that, you know, would be like, hey, a signifier, I need you to be gentle with me, or even what's the answer to give? Like, even if mm-hmm. it was, please be gentle with me, I'm grieving, you know, honoring the space that, yeah, I just, even, yeah, I lost my, I thought my marriage was this way, and it wasn't this way, and this is, this really hurts, and I'm grieving this. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, even a button that says, um, I could use some kindness today. You know, oh, yeah. yeah. I, you good. guys, this reminds me, I, there was, <clears throat> I was getting ready to be empty nested and I was unexpectedly unemotional. Um, five kids, it was the fourth of five that we were, or, that was leaving the house. And I was, I was so disappointed in myself that I was sat there so emotional. I, my husband goes, let's just go to coffee. So we go to coffee and we're sitting at the coffee shop. And earlier that day I had just, um, had gone to the doctor. And so I'm sitting at this coffee shop processing with my husband. I'm grieving with my husband. I'm like, the tears are coming down. I'm not like blubbering, but I'm, you know, I've got tears just streaming down my face and people, strangers are being so kind. I had one lady just come up and put her hand on my back. I had all these kind Mm. smiles. And then I realized I looked down at my arm. I forgot that at the doctor, I'd had my blood drawn that day. And it was, became pretty clear pretty fast that people thought that maybe I was having a bad diagnosis or 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 you know or something like that like something was medically wrong I got bad medical news and no it was just a mom who was grieving the fact that her child was leaving the nest and and she wasn't handling it well but I do find that people really do want to step into our grief if we give them the opportunity if we want them to so Hannah can you explain exactly what grief is? Can you sort yeah. of define what that is? I mean, was I grieving when my son was leaving empty nest? I don't know. Yes. You know, not compared to the grief I had when my mom died or when my husband, right. you know, cheated or whatever. But still, grief exists. So can you maybe sort of define that for us in the context of what we're talking about today? Absolutely. I would love to. So I'm going to give two different definitions. And the second definition will speak to the empty nesting, I think a little bit, but (laughs) first I'll say that, um, grief is the normal and natural reaction to loss of any kind. Mm. Right. So actually I'm wrong. This also speaks to the empty nesting thing. I, I say any kind because it is really important to recognize that there's over 40 different types of life events that cause feelings of grief and loss. So it's not just death, even though people perceive it, you know, grief to be primarily in that category. It's things like divorce, it's moving, it's infidelity, it's loss of health, it's loss of trust, it's loss of safety. I think, you know, for me as a kid growing up abused, I grieved I grieved the loss of safety before I even actually understood that that was what it was, but it, it was that. Um, and so there's so many different life events that stir up feelings of grief and loss. And so grief is just the normal and natural reaction to a loss of any kind. All of those feelings, those emotions, those profound, that profound um, depth of sadness is 
is normal and natural. And it's grief is also then the conflicting feelings we experience when there's an end of or a change in a familiar pattern of behavior. So especially with your son leaving the nest, it's like, wait, I have lived 16 to 18 years of life with you in this way, helping you, caring for you. And now you you know in your heart of hearts and in your brain that, yeah, you're always going to love him and he's going to come home and it's going to be great, but it'll never quite be the same as yeah. it was, right? Mm-hmm. And so that is a familiar pattern of behavior changing and that stirs up grief for us. That mm-hmm. stirs up sadness and it's just that recognition that, wow, my life was like this and now that's over and that that makes me sad, you know, and I, I'm grieving that. So it, again, it's like things like moving, it's, um, it's death, but it, it could also be, you know, when your partner lo- no longer comes to you for sexual intimacy and you're like, why? And then you discover it's like, there's, of course, that pattern of behavior is disrupted or the vow is disrupted, right? The commitment is disrupted. And so those feelings, of course, cause tons and tons of grief. Thank you. We're big fans of the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Me too. Me too. Are you? Yeah. It's such, I mean, it reads like a textbook. It's a heavy read, but it's so informative. And so Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit curious about if you could teach us a bit about how does our body hold trauma and, Mm -hmm. and why is it important for us to process grief? What happens when we don't? What happens when we do? Totally. So there is a foundation called the American Brain Foundation, and there's a doctor there, Lisa Shulman, and she says that grief is just the normal protective process in our bodies. It's the grief process was an adaptive process that our brains went through to help us survive in the face of emotional trauma. So I believe that all grief has some element of trauma, whether it's big T trauma or little T trauma, you know, whether it's a thousand in the sense that whether it's a thousand small little incidents that slowly over time just really debilitate us and paralyze us or whether it's, you know, that sudden act of your partner cheating or finding them, you know, with all the porn or whatever, whether it's those big things or those little things, all grief has some element of trauma. So and the brain interprets emotional trauma, interprets grief, I'm sorry, as emotional trauma or as PTSD. So our brain isn't saying, you know, our synapses aren't like, oh, this is grief. No, the, the, body, the body and the brain are saying, this is traumatic. Uh. I am sh- I'm shutting down into a, a fight or flight response or the fawning or the freezing, right, that you guys talk about. And so we go into just our normal stress responses when we're grieving. And that's the protective process, right? The those four Fs are all about a, a protective response, ultimately. Mm-hmm. So, I would say that initially, a lot of grievers, when the fir- when that first pang happens or that first event happens, a lot of grievers end up freezing, in the sense that um, you know there's disbelief, there's shock, but then your brain kind of slows down. There's this term out there also called grief brain, and oh. it's, it's really where it's almost like a fog. It's like you're you're trying to walk through fog, but you can't see anything. You know what's right in front of you, but beyond that, your decision-making ability doesn't op- doesn't work as well. You process information differently. Memory retention um, recedes, like so it's hard to retain information and stuff. I remember when my mom died, my sister was like so diligent about writing everything down because she's like, I'm not, I can't even remember what this person said an hour ago. 
So mm-hmm. our body has this just natural response um, when it comes to when it comes to grief. Now, society, I feel, teaches us to put a lid on our pain a lot of the time. So, and I said this in terms of 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 loss and death, and I just think it gives a good example. But you know, when we have a funeral, people expect, okay, well, you have the funeral, all right, like keep moving on, you know, or like, okay, like your partner cheated, you you divorce them. Get over okay. it. Right. Get over move it, on. right? Ugh, you put a bo- put a bow on it and move on. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like exactly. Just move on. And that's such a lie, you know, that doesn't work. And so we talk about in the grief recovery method, we talk about myths around grief. And one of those myths is, you know, just be strong. Don't feel bad. Move on. Um, just give it time. But all of these phrases actually teach us to suppress our grief. And when we suppress these emotions, our body takes the brunt of it. All of that pent up emotional energy has to go somewhere. So you have to imagine it sort of as like a pressure cooker scenario. You know, I'm suppressing, 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 but the fire underneath is growing and growing and growing, but there's a lid on it. Well, we know it eventually is going to happen. It's going to explode everywhere in our life if we just continue to suppress um, our grief and our sorrow and our pain. And so unresolved grief, especially in the body, it weakens the immune system. Mm -hmm. We know if we have a a weak immune system, that will lead to illness and disease. Again, with with that fight or flight response, our stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline, they're they're raging constantly, and that's also suppressing the immune system. Um, So if we're living in a heightened state of grief, which is a heightened stress response, um, it's just a constant, like a chronic fight or flight state, which is not, which is not good for our bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, Inflammation, ulcers, high blood pressure, headaches, these are all things that also happen when we are not processing our grief. Um, unprocessed grief or grief in general too, just, it disrupts our sleep. It's hard to sleep. Or sometimes we oversleep like depression, like trending towards depression. But we know that lack of a healthy sleep cycle also weakens our body. Um, and we know that when people are grieving, it's hard to eat even sometimes. It just depends mm-hmm. on where you are in the phase of your grief journey. But sometimes even approaching food is is really hard, but we need that sustenance in our body. I remember, again, when my mom died, I could not eat I couldn't eat any kind of food, not even soft food. It just made me nauseous. But I I was like, okay, I know I need something. So I drank protein drinks because I was like, I have to have something to fortify myself. So yeah, I mean, unprocessed grief can be very, very damaging to us long term. And so, um, and as our body holds this trauma, our body is is holding on to basically a chronic state of of fight or flight, which is pretty, pretty intense. So couple thoughts on that as you were talking about the pressure cooker. I love metaphors and my husband and I just watched Chernobyl on Netflix and it's a five part series, but they show the building up in the core and then this massive explosion and then there's rocks flying and, and just debris everywhere. And Mm -hmm. the particles from the core were highly radioactive. So one of the firefighters picked one of the rocks up because it was sparkly and it almost burned all the way through his hand. So it just made me think about the fallout to that, that affects yes. other people. Even if we are not processing our grief well or at all, yes. um, and the long-term damage and, you know, it took over a year for them to encapsulate that. And it's still toxic within a 20, 20 mile radius yes. of Chernobyl to this day. 
uh, wow. they say a hundred years or more. It just made me think about not only is it this insane event in our lives mm -hmm. when we're experiencing this deep soul wrenching grief, but mm -hmm. there's fallout that affects other people too. Mm -hmm. So totally. um, yeah. yeah, important yeah. to do that for ourselves and for others, like our children and our, our spouses oh, and, yeah. and our, you know, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. You know, yeah. one of the things when um, my kids lost their dad, I, they were in counseling and I remember the counselor saying, Hey, um, we have this thing called EMDR. Do you want your kids to have that? I'm like, Nope, that sounds woo woo. None of that. <laughs> and quite honestly, um, well just now it was such a disservice as a mom to my children. I didn't understand mm. what EMDR would have done for my children. Gosh, and, yeah. and so now they're, mm -hmm. you know, adults in their late twenties and, and they're, they're good. God is good. And God has, God has taken them along their journey as God does. Um, Amen. But all of that said, you know, I think when we're going through grief, sometimes it can be really overwhelming mm -hmm. to think of adding something else to our process, like processing grief. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes we're just in that survival mode and the thought of pressing in or, or mm -hmm. listening to the grief can, can kind of seem overwhelming. But as mm -hmm. you explained, if we don't, there are, there are repercussions from that. So yes. I, my, my sense is that the, that there is this balance that we have to have between making room for it, pressing into it and, and all the things that go with that. So how do we process grief in healthy ways? Like what are the consequences of not processing at all? What would that look like? So help us understand a little bit about that balance of, okay, I'm going through something. I don't have capacity for more. I think some people think grieving means I have to have more capacity. I have a feeling right, that you're going to tell yeah. me that that's not actually the <laughs> truth. So, so will you explain a little bit about that for us? Sure. Absolutely. You know, it's so interesting that you, you bring that up about the space and the timing of all of that, because a lot of the people that come to me have, are are people who are referred to me by a primary care physician or physical therapists because honest it's literally a prescription for them because mm. they're going to the doctor for all these physical symptoms but they're but the doctor if they're wise and in tune with what's really going on is like actually i think if you took some time to work on this you would find that your neck would not be doing this anymore. Um, in fact, actually, one of my recent clients, that's exactly, was exactly her experience. She was having all this pain in her neck, and then she came to me, and we worked it out, and she's like, my neck is, it feels so much better right now. So it's almost like sometimes, I don't know about you ladies, but sometimes I struggle to give myself permission to do the things I know I need to do for myself, mm -hmm. and Sometimes we just need someone to come alongside us and give us permission and say, actually, really think it would be beneficial if you took some time to to look at this for what it really is. And it doesn't have to take a ton of time. Um, so I think that the first crucial step in healthy uh, in a healthy grief process is just acknowledgement, right? It's just saying, okay, I'm gonna I'm just gonna take a step back, and I see that. My grief around this, this pain is not allowing me to be the woman I really want to be or the person I really want to be. I'm not showing up in a way that I feel like serves myself or serves the people around me or it doesn't, it's not, it's not, 
who God is, is really asking me to be ultimately. So it's just that acknowledgement. That's the first thing. And I honestly feel like that's the bravest step anybody could ever take is just saying, I acknowledge and I need help. Right. And then it is prioritizing the time to feel it, to, to process it. It's also telling yourself that actually I'm, I'm worth that. I am worth making the space for. And if I do it for myself, I can then be, I can show up better for other people. So it's really also saying, no, I, I deserve this. I think especially as women, we have this toxic trait of putting everybody else first and then like, okay, I'll get to myself at the end. Mm -hmm. Well, it's almost reversing that narrative and saying the way to help everybody else is by putting myself first. And it actually is an act of love towards the people around me. So just really trying to reframe the reasons why it's very important for you to to spend time on your grief and really feeling it and really acknowledging it and giving it space. There, okay, now we're talking about TV shows, but I have to, <laughs> I have to bring up another TV show. Bring it. Because they have, yeah, okay, there's this show on Apple TV called Shrinking. And yep. it's completely it's ridiculous. Funny. <laughs> it's so silly. There are some parts where I'm like, oh, I don't password that. But, you know, <laughs> it's a great show. And, um, you know, it, it takes place in a therapist's office. And I just love the advice that Harrison Ford gives to um, the main character's daughter who's grieving the loss of her mom. But I think this it applies to any kind of grief. He says, just grieve it for 15 minutes. Mm, and this so is a real good. theory. It's called the 15-minute theory. And it's just this idea that you will stop for 15 minutes and you will just feel it all the way. You can like, no distractions, no, you know, whatever, but you just, you go into a space or maybe you go for a walk or you put on a song or you do whatever you need to do and you just enter into the grief all the way, but just for 15 minutes. You set like a timer. Like you're soaking in it. Like get in the hot yeah. tub of your grief yeah. and feel it all the way up. Yes. You're just like, yes. You're just marinating in the feelings and letting them overcome you. You're not judging them. You're just letting it happen. And then when the timer goes off, you can wipe your eyes and you can move forward. So and good. it is amazing the 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 researched response that 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 people have after doing something like that, the healing that comes of just taking those 15 minutes to really enter in to the grief and really feel it for what it is, honoring it for what it is, and then moving forward, right? Yeah. So it doesn't have to be this thing, this monumental thing that you're feeling it all the time and you're just wallowing in grief. I don't even believe in that at all. I think that actually having moments of levity, having moments of, of laughter or finding spaces where you can be joyful when you're also grieving is very important. You can't be grieving 100% of the time. Yeah. Again, that's not even healthy for your body, right? So finding ways where you're going to honor it and then you're going you're gonna to continue to move forward, being very gentle with yourself, being very patient with yourself, giving yourself more margin. Um, yeah, those are... I mean, I have other thoughts too, but I'll, I'll just, I'll just share those for now. <laughs> I love the giving yourself margin. I, I assume that like the act of forgiveness, that grief, even the 15 minute method, it's not a one and done. It might, you might no. need to have repeated cycles, repeated times mm -hmm. of that, but also it's a both and not mm -hmm. an either or either you're mm -hmm. happy or you're grieving. That's right. 
so you can you can grieve and be joyful and be peaceful right. and have yes. all of those things in your life. Yes, amen. And I just I really feel like ooh, I just felt the spirit, but I just felt like it's so important for us as Christians to be to hold that tension, to be really respectful and gentle with other believers when they're grieving, because I think sometimes we can say things like, well, you know, just keep praying about it or whatever. And that's kind of insensitive. We don't know the level of where someone's heart is at with their faith. I can have tremendous faith in God's goodness and the fact that he will show up for me and help me heal and also be very painfully sad. Both of those things can be true. And it doesn't mean that I lack faith if I lean into my sadness. And it doesn't mean that I I believe less or I believe badly, quote unquote. It's just part of the whole faith journey. And I just think especially as believers, we should be people who are the most sensitive when it comes to these these topics of grief and and infidelity and, and hurt and all of those things. We should be the most apt to hold people tenderly in those spaces because that's mm-hmm. what God does for us. Absolutely. And I, I, I can't think of a scripture off the top of my head, but I, 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 I'm darn sure that God experiences grief, has experienced yes. grief, lamenting. I mean, hello, he wrote a whole book oh, about it, yes. Lamentations. Yes. So yeah, God yes. understands that and he knows it. I love what you were just touching on about things that people say. And that's something I wanted to ask you about is, oh, yeah. is we can be so well-intentioned and mm-hmm. so harmful and hurtful by saying the wrong things like mm-hmm. one of the the common phrases when someone has died or uh, is that you know oh well they're in a better place well that's right. not that's not helpful uh, right. that's not addressing that's that's bypassing or sidelining what that that's person's right. experience or even when something tragic happens to another person to say well God's in this he's going to use it for your good thanks that's oh, great but that's not yeah. addressing yeah. The, the trauma that that person's in in the moment so yeah. could you talk to us a little bit about some of the harmful things that people say and how can yeah. we better come alongside or hold space for someone yeah. who has one of your buttons on mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> Um, well, I will just say like right out of the gate, the, the, the whole trick with speaking to people who are going through traumatic, painful events and grief is to lead with your heart and not your head. So all of these statements, oh, you know, God just wanted another angel in heaven with him or oh, gosh, I, I know don't start me. Oh, that's, the worst. So, that's the worst. I am yeah. just like, what Bible are you reading? Because first of all, I don't know that people turn into angels, but okay. And right. also, sure they don't. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, thank you. And is God selfish that He takes from us? Like, wait, right? no. It's just so many things loaded in that. But you know, we just need to lead with our heart and not our head. So we don't. What I'm saying is, people when they're going through trauma, when they're going through grief. They're going through an, an all-consuming emotional experience. But what we say are these intellectual cliched statements. And grievers don't have a broken brain. They have a broken heart. They're, but they're, they're living in Ooh. their heart space. They're not living in their brain space. So lead with your heart and not your head. Think about how you'd like to be spoken to and then speak from that place. So, you know, saying just give it time, that's not helpful. And it's also, again, that's not true either. Time doesn't, time is arbitrary. It doesn't necessarily heal in and of itself. It's what you do with the time that you've been given, right? 
you've already said this, everything happens for a reason. God will, you know, use it for good. God never gives you more than you can handle. All these things. Or, you know, just be That's not even in the Bible. Thank you. (laughs) By the way, God won't give you more than you can handle is not in scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Girl, tell it. Tell it. Yeah. Like, (laughs) or just be thankful you had them for as long as you did or whatever. No, that is so dismissive. Like you said, Chris, it, it bypasses people's pain. It minimizes their pain. It it almost writes it off, and then it also reinforces those those toxic cultural myths around grief um, that you know we don't want to perpetuate. So, well, how in the world though, do so we I, process pain or grief if if we if we justify it and label it, and then that right. and then you set it on a shelf, and right. and yet yet it sits with you, but yet I've got this this cognitive thought that it's this, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, I, I mean, it's not only is it dismissive, but I think it would be incredibly disruptive and maybe even harmful to your yeah. healing process to do that for yourself because now, now we've just stuck it on a label, stuck it on a shelf. We don't touch it again, but yet it mm-hmm. lives inside of us. And now we're conflicted mm-hmm. with, well, well, yeah. they're, they're in heaven now, so I shouldn't feel this way. Now we've got a shame component going on and Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. The shame. I love that you it. said too, Hannah, that the only cure for grief is grieving. It's something yeah. that's necessary, and it's yeah. it's the only way to cure the ailment. Right? Is to you. Yeah. Well, it's that quote. You gotta. The only way out. The only is way through. out is through. Yeah. And I would say too that. The truth is, it's that you never get over the grief or, you know, get past the grief. It's that you learn how to live with the grief, move through the grief. Mm-hmm. You grow, you grow through the grief, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, yeah, mm-hmm. just this notion that, okay, I can, yeah, I can put it away in a little box over there. Mm, that that doesn't really make sense. That's that's, And the truth is, especially, you know, when you love something or love somebody, you don't want to just put them in a box. You want to be able to feel free to remember the good things that you had with them or, you know, that part of that season of your life with, with fondness. And, and that's part of the work again that I do is, you know, moving it from the pain to more of that, that fondness feeling. Yeah. Just trying to, trying to shove it away. Again, that leads back to that suppression that we talked about earlier. That's just, just really toxic and, and not helpful. So I think when we are when we are approaching people who have traumatic experiences and are grieving, we show up in our humanity, which is exactly mm-hmm. what Christ is for us. He shows up and he showed up as in human form for us. We can show up in human form for other people. So I think, you know, things we can say are my heart is breaking with you over your loss. That's a very human thing to say. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what you're going through, you know, because we do say, oh, I know exactly how you feel. Well, we don't actually know exactly how someone else is feeling, you know? So I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I know I love you and I'm here if you ever want to talk. Good. I think also asking yeah. people who have been like going through painful things, what do you need? What can I do for you? How can I serve you? Even if it's just taking out the trash or washing your dishes. I mean, goodness gracious, that would be such a gift to give to some people. I think another thing that always goes well, and it's kind of funny because every time I say this, I always get a response, but I always tell people that are going through hard things, you know, I send them a little message and I say, hey, there's no pressure to respond. I just want you to know I'm thinking about you and I'm holding space for you. It's by giving them the permission 
to just be wherever they are, that always elicits a response from people because no one else is doing that. No one Mm, else is saying like, hey, you don't have to respond. Yeah, you don't have to show up. I have zero expectations for you right now as you're going through this really painful thing. I just want you to know I love you. Mm. All of that takes pressure off a person who has gone through something so traumatic and painful um, and it allows us to, to hold space for them. It allows us to to love them well. So I think just remembering that grievers aren't broken, so they don't need to be fixed. Ah, when we good. go through traumatic events, <laughs> right? When Thank we go through traumatic that. events. Oh. Yes, yes. When our partner cheats on us or we discover that they've had like a porn addiction for years and we didn't know about it. And our response is is one of hurt and heartbreak and anger and all the things. That is normal and natural no one needs to fix you. It's actually healthy that you have that response and it's just part of the process, right? So we we just need to hold people in that. That's not mm-hmm. a broken response. That's actually the normal and healthy response. So I would just encourage people to to take cues from the grieving person, the person who's going through the event and not put your own uh, experiences or expectations or so ideas good. on that person. Yes. I love that. I I love the phrase, I'm comfortable with someone else being uncomfortable. I feel like we need to resist the urge, like you were saying, to fix someone in a way for me personally. I feel like when I've been Mm -hmm. tempted to do that with someone who's grieving whatever loss they've experienced, uh, it's selfish on my behalf. Like I need them to be okay so I can be okay, which is kind of codependent. And, uh, and I've learned to be comfortable with other people being in a hard or uncomfortable place. And they need to do that. If I, if I prematurely come in and codependently rescue them, then they're not going to have that, that learning opportunity. They're not going to be able to go through that process of grieving and all of the neurological things that take place in that process and, and all of the, the body, you know, uh, issues that are going on with them. I'm not, I'm, I'm, um, I'm cutting short their process, which is not kind at all or helpful. So I love that you keep highlighting the fact that we don't need to fix someone who is grieving. We just need to hold space for them, come alongside and ask them what they need. Mm. How can I show up for you? Yeah. And just check on them every once in a while. I love that you said, yeah. I'll, you know, send a message or leave a note, send a card and say, feel no pressure to respond to me. I just want you to know I love you and I'm here for you. Yes. That reminds me of two things. When people go through grief and then they have like the initial thing happens and then a few months later, everybody else moves on mm-hmm. and, but you're not moving on. And I think it's important, especially if it's somebody that we're close to and we really love, we really claim this person as a person in our life. I think for us as friends and family around them to set reminders to check in on them, yes, yes. check in on them six months later, yeah. a year later, yeah. check on them two years later on the day that around the time it happened, because maybe, you know, again, we're all, we all are busy people. We all move on, but it's not as that maybe the grief isn't as intense as in that one moment, mm-hmm. but maybe around the anniversary of that thing happening or that timing all of those same feelings come right back. And so just being mindful of those those anniversaries or those opportunities to play the long game with our friends and to mm-hmm. really fit, to long suffer, to long suffer with the people we love, right? That yeah. oh, in time, over time, those wounds will still resurface. And so as we hold space for them, let's hold space for them over the duration and not just in that immediate moment. I love that. If that makes sense. Totally makes sense. I I had a friend last year whose husband went through something tragic. And in my phone, Fridays at 7 p.m., 
for an entire year. I put it on repeat for an entire year to text message her. I don't know what that did for her, but we're still in touch to this day. This is a friend that I had lost mm. contact with, heard about this tragedy, put that text message or put that um, note in my calendar as a reminder. And so we're, we're still in contact to this day. And I that's I that's it. a really, really good reminder. I, I think just like you said, to hold space for someone, but to do it consistently and for a long length mm-hmm. of time. Mm-hmm. That's a big, big one. Yeah. Something else yeah. that's coming to mind as we move forward with our content here is I, I remember I used to love to sing, love mm-hmm. to sing, love to harmonize. Um, I just worshiping in church, just yeah. all of that has been a huge piece of my faith and my faith yeah. experience. Mm-hmm. And I remember I could not utter a note. I couldn't, I'd listen to music and I'd try to sing along and I couldn't mm-hmm. utter. It was so painful mm-hmm. and let alone mm-hmm. go to church and mm-hmm. join a worship there because then I'd be a blubbering mess on the floor and, and right. I don't want to draw attention to myself. And right. the situation's so precarious that I definitely don't want to draw attention to myself or my circumstances. Yeah. And I remember, I, I feel like I lost my song, if you will, mm-hmm. for yeah. about two years. Yeah, I could mm-hmm. not sing, even, yep. even at home with worship mm-hmm. music. I mm-hmm. could put on worship music and listen to it and grieve and cry and process. I could experience the emotions as I listened to it, but I could not let the song came out, come out. And I remember at one point I started to sing again and it was so noticeable. I was like, holy smokes. Yeah. I, something had lifted enough that my yeah. vocal cords could open and I could sing again. So could you, yep. Could you tell us a little bit about how music affects our grief and and what role that plays? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, Jen. I recognize myself in that story for sure. Twice. I think the first time was when my dad, I think when I moved here from, from the East Coast and really just grieving my dad and just grieving the loss of trust the betrayal. It's a betrayal, right? It's that. It's like, you're the, you're the person who's supposed to look out for me and you're the person who's caused me the most pain. You know, Mm. I didn't sing for years. I just could not sing. And same with my mom. When my mom died, I took a year off of worship and I just was like, I can't do it. I just like not, I agree. It's like the song in you is just muted. But I think, I, I believe that music is, is such it's such a powerful gift from God. When I think about when I think about God right now in the heavens, like he's surrounded by music. People are singing around him. Like so and when I think when I lead people in worship, I think about that and just how we're joining that heavenly song whenever we're singing as as believers. And so there's that element of music. But then I also believe that music is warfare. Mu- music mm. helps empower us. It helps us state claims and prompt God's promises over our hearts and our lives. And so in that way, it's very powerful too. And I just think whenever I lead worship at church, I, I hold both of those things in tension of we are joining the heavenly song that is constantly going, that God is surrounded in, in song and worship and that beauty. But then we're also declaring through music because I believe that music has its own specific soul language. Uh, it's almost like a form of speaking in tongues, if you will. Like it's Amen. got this yeah. its own power, mm-hmm. right? That when we speak that way, we're also declaring things 
in the spiritual that we don't even realize. And so it makes it makes perfect sense to me that when we're grieving, when we're broken down, when we are betrayed and on our knees and everything is in question, it makes sense to me that it's hard to enter into that spiritual language almost. And I think then that music affects our grief or shows up in our grief in two ways. So it can stir up feelings of, it, it, it's almost, it's connected to our memory, right? So it, it stirs up, oh man, you, it's like you can hear that song and you're almost transported back into time and a different place where maybe things were happier or good, or maybe it's your song with your person, your partner, and it transports you right back there. And you feel all the feelings you felt in that sweet time or that sweet moment. And then you open your eyes and you realize like, okay, that's not today. Uh And then all of a sudden we're a wreck, you know. And I think that music in that sense triggers our grief. But I think, again, that's okay because it's important for us to – to feel those feelings it and grief comes in layers and it comes in waves so that's just I feel like music can stir up one of those waves of grief when we're least when we least expect it you know we can be in the grocery store looking at like pasta and then the song (laughs) comes on and you're like shoot I am I gotta leave now I think that actually did happen to me I was like I have to leave I can't be in the store like I'm feeling all these feels, you know? So that's that's one aspect. But then I also think music brings us profound comfort. And music got me through the loss of my mom and so many other things. And in the singing again, I found a big part of my healing. And so I, I just think that it's being aware of the former. It's being aware that music can be a source of triggering for us with our grief and our loss. But it also can usher us into God's grace and help us um, really experience his, his presence and his healing. And I also, this is a total tangent, but I want the church because I remember too, when my mom died, I wanted to avoid the church. And that makes me so sad. Mm-hmm. I want the church to be a place where the brokenhearted can come and I can come broken down, discovering that my partner has betrayed me And I can come there and I can fall on my knees and cry and just be like, cool, that's normal. That's good. God is meeting her in that place. I want that for the church. I don't know what we have to do to get there. This is a tangent, but I just have to (laughs) say that. (laughs) You're preaching. I just want a button now that says normalize grieving. (laughs) Yes, right? Yes. Yes. God came for the sick, not, not the whole, not the, not the perfect. Right. And I feel like in our church spaces, it's so often about being the perfect and not being the sick, but sometimes we're hurt. So, so true. That's exactly the reason why my husband and I left the church that we were at when all of his stuff came out. What I discovered in my personal journey was people love the story when you're all through it and there's a nice little Mm -hmm. bow on top of it. In that time, the church was not a safe or healing place for us to be Mm -hmm. real and raw. So Mm -hmm. we ended up going to a different church and that church knows their, their tagline, if you will, is, is being relentlessly real. Mm. And this is a church where you can go and get really real. And, and that brings in all kinds of people. I got to say, yeah, (laughs) there's a lot of realness there. (laughs) Um, But there is something incredibly powerful when the church decides that they can take on the mess, when they can run towards the mess without fear, without preaching, without over-spiritualizing, without spiritual bypassing, yeah. all of those things, that is a special, special place to be. And and, and we are the church, so it starts here. It starts with the three mm-hmm. of us, and it starts to mm-hmm. every listener who's listening to this. We mm-hmm. are the church. 
Amen. Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And so we, Amen. it starts with us. So I don't know how to do it on a grand scale, but right. not all of us are, are called to do it on a grand scale. We That's are right. called to do it in relationship to those that we encounter that are going through grief. My tangent. Hello. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not a good tangent. Word. This is so good. It's the adage to uh, be the firefighter mm-hmm. that runs mm-hmm. in when everyone else is running out. Yeah. Be comfortable. Yes. Mm-hmm. Be getting, going to the messy, going to the hard and yeah, run in when everyone else is running out. Yeah. Amen. No, I agree completely. I love that. And thank you for acknowledging that tangent because I think it is important and saying like, it does start with us. It's my choice to show up with my neighbor next to me. And, you know, when they ask me how I am, Mm -hmm. being honest myself Mm -hmm. and also being willing to sit and listen to how they are and being a safe space for them. So you're absolutely right about that, sis. I like, mm, amen. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. Well said, ladies. Yeah. You kind of already answered my next, the next question I was going to ask you. <laughs> so, and I love it because I, I just love this conversation so much, but uh, Hannah, can you give us, uh, for the griever, can yeah. you give us a few more ideas about self-care? How can that person oh, show yeah. up well for themselves in the process mm. of grief? Yeah. You know, when I, so before I was a grief coach, I did a lot of life coaching, but particularly around boundaries. And I love boundaries. And I know a lot of people do not love boundaries because they think it's a confrontational or a conflict driven thing. But when, when boundaries are done well, or from a healthy place, they're a very proactive, empowering thing, and they never have to be offensive to the other, the other person. And so I just really believe for people who are going through grief, extreme pain, extreme betrayal, Having doubling down on your boundaries and being very clear on them is so important Um, and not apologizing for them either, because I think a lot of people want to put on us what they what their expectations are of us in a certain time or place. And I think that when we're going through something hard, it's very important for us to just take a beat to listen to what it is that we really need and then ask for that from the people around us, which I know is really hard, but really important. And then if, if the people around us cannot honor that, it's also saying, okay, well, I'll see you when I see you. Like, I got to I gotta get some space because I really have to take care of myself right now. I really have to come around myself. I'm also thinking for, you know, women, particularly in this, in the portrayal trauma space where, you know, the trauma, and Jen, maybe you can speak to this too, but like, the trauma doesn't just happen to you. Like it ha- it also happens to your kids. They're the or they're part of the fallout of what happened. And so again, we talked about this a little bit, but you have to take care of yourself and take care of the other people that are affected yes. by the scenario, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can't again, that's where I feel like those boundaries come in of like it's going to be enough work for me to take care of me and to take care of these little people who are involved in this, or maybe they're big at that point, you know, or the other people who are directly impacted. So just, I would just really say like leaning hard if you can into the space of, of boundaries and really saying, this is what I need. It's okay right now. If you can't give that to me as a friend or whatever, I, I love you. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be friends in a later space, but right now, this is what I need. I, I feel like that's it. That's important. I don't really feel like that answers your self-care <laughs> question. I think that uh, it that does. We, um, we made our, our circle very, very small. So my mm-hmm. first marriage didn't make it. Um, but my second marriage has, and 
when we when Dan and I were going through our process, we made that circle so, so, so small. We pulled out out of everything we possibly Good. could, every ministry, every friendship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we probably only had really, I would say probably maybe only two friends, may, mm-hmm. maybe four at the most, while we were going through it. Um, because it is an emotional roller coaster and you take people on an emotional mm-hmm. roller coaster, some of them really go with you with the emotions and now you're starting to have to manage their responses. That's and right. So there isn't much capacity, you know, so really pulling back and when you when you talk boundaries, that's what I'm hearing, at least for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. um pull back from as much as you possibly can to focus on what you really need to have energy for, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it bears repeating something that you've said before, Jen, that boundaries keep love in, not out. We're not Mm. building a, a, a cinder block wall, 10 feet thick and barricading ourselves behind it. We are, we're putting, we're putting needs out there. Like you say, speak the need, identify the need, speak the need. And, Mm. um, and when we do that with boundaries, it helps us to maintain relationships with people as opposed to not speaking our need, letting them do whatever, and then, and then, you know, minimizing our needs and being hurt. So boundaries Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. add to our relationships. They're good for our relationships. Not just our relationships with others, but our relationship with ourselves. Like we have to exercise the internal boundary. We're not just putting external boundaries. We have to do the internal ones. Um, which is also recognizing our own internal needs. I keep thinking this, this, this analogy keeps coming to mind. This, this cat, this car that is, um, wait, I like the cat one better. The cat. cat? I'm kidding. (laughs) I just meowed on a podcast. Okay. But I I keep thinking of this car, like, like we're, let's say someone doesn't have a license and we're driving them from place to place to place. We're doing our lives, but we're still, our lives are, um, somewhat disruptive, uh, disrupted with with their schedule so we're trying to take people from place to place to place in this car and our cars are running out of gas mm-hmm. and and we have this acknowledgement i need to get gas i need to get gas i need to get gas yes. and the yes. tank's getting lower and lower and lower and it's on empty and you're like how far can i get on fumes you know are yes. fumes of faith you know like here we, you know <laughs> and so i keep thinking about how even just putting a little bit of gas mm-hmm. in your car you may not have the money to fill it up you know all the way but but even just putting a half a tank, a quarter tank, yeah. will will yeah. take you to where you need to go. Because once you run out of gas, mm-hmm. you will not have the ability to serve those around you, even That's your right. children. So right. there has to be this internal boundary and acknowledgement of my need to fill my tank just a little so that I can yeah. continue to do the things that I really want to do and feel called to do, which is to mm-hmm. serve those closest to me. But you have Amen. to refill your tank. And so that internal boundary mm-hmm. is necessary for that. So um, we've talked about coming alongside, you know, uh, grieving as a result of betrayal and how to hold space for people. Um, I appreciate your your input on that. Is there anything that you want to add, Hannah, as we are coming to a close here? Any word of encouragement for our listeners or final thoughts or anything you felt like you wanted to touch on but didn't have a chance to? Yeah, a couple things. First, one way that we continue to hold space for each other is just we honor the fact that every relationship is unique, you know, and so therefore every grief and every griever is unique. Mm -hmm. So even, you know, People listening to this podcast, maybe the betrayal trauma is the thing that we have in common, but how that manifested in our life is is so unique. And so, 
let's just honor each person's experience, their relationship and what their loss is and how they're grieving it. And um, I also really want to encourage people who are are wrestling with betrayal trauma that to not compare or minimize their grief. I think it would be so easy for me to say, okay, well, my husband, I just, you know, discovered this thing. But my friend over here's mom's dying of cancer or dad's dying of cancer. I feel like I can't say my thing or share my yeah. thing because it's not as severe as that. No, all grief is real and valid. And each person is going through what is their own unique battle and struggle. And for them, it's enough. And so I just, I don't know. I just feel like there's someone listening who just needs to know that don't feel bad or, and don't minimize your own experience just because maybe society or other people say it's not as severe as someone else's. It's your experience. It is valid. Mm -hmm. It is painful. Mm -hmm. And you are allowed to grieve that at a hundred percent of your own personal capacity and just know that, that that is the honorable and worthy thing to do. And I just think it's important to just hold space for all different kinds of grief and, and just to listen and, and hold that person with love. So I just feel like there's someone out there who could maybe benefit from, from that word. I'll just, I'll just say by way of closing, and I, I just say this to almost every woman I meet because I just think we all need to hear this, but you are loved, you are worthy, you are enough. Everything that you're experiencing is normal and natural. And there are safe spaces out here for you to process that. I'm <laughs> grateful for you, Chris, and for you, Jen, that you've created this safe space for for people who are going through betrayal trauma because it it's it's unique and it deserves its own um, unique recognition. And so I just am grateful that you're holding space for them just by even having this dialogue. And I just know too that God holds space for us in all of our pain. He doesn't judge us. He's not mad at us as we're wrestling through different different um, challenges around um, the trauma. He loves us. He absolutely grieves with us. His heart breaks with us. I mean. I think that the ultimate truth is that the world right now is not as he originally designed it. And so that brings him sorrow too, which is why he sent his son to come and rescue us and to make it right. Right. And eventually it will all be made right one day. And so I just want to encourage us. It's so easy for us to be hard on ourselves and think that God is hard on us too in our pain, but he's not, he's just sitting there with so much love and compassion and understanding for us. And so I just, I want to speak that over someone's heart too, that, God, God grieves with you. He's not, he, his, his heart breaks. He's mad your too. Situation. He's mad too. Yeah. <laughs> he is. Yeah. He is. He is. Yeah. And yeah. he's sad yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Hannah. That was precious You're welcome. and beautiful. And yeah. yes and amen. And I, I, I'm, you know, I know my friend Jen well, and I can see the look on her face and I can say, <laughs> I can boldly speak for her as well mm. in saying that we're huge fans of yours mm. and we're oh, also grateful so for we're so grateful for the work that you do with with people Thank who you. are grieving and also leading people into that space of worship uh which is another thing that you do amazingly well and uh yeah and and worship as a weapon is a powerful thing when we're ready to pick That's that right. up and go That's for right. it so thank you so much for the education you gave us and our listeners today yeah. Hannah tell our listeners how they can reach you where can they contact yeah. you what's your social handles all that good stuff yeah yeah so well they can reach me at hannahwalker.com so that's my website uh, I'm sure you'll spell it all out in the notes, so I won't bother spelling my last <laughs> name there, but, um, yeah, hannahwalker.com. And then, um, my email address is hey, hey at hannahwalker.com. 
more like, hey, hey, like that. Um, (laughs) Love it. And then um, I'm so sad I didn't think of that. (laughs) You can do it. I'll share it with you. Okay. Um, Yeah. And then my Instagram, I think I'm, I'm on LinkedIn and a couple other social platforms, but I would say that the one that I am most active on is Instagram. And my handle there is stay Royal queen, all one word, stay Royal queen. So, um, yeah, that's where you can find me. DM me just happy to like be in a shared space with anybody and love on them and encourage them however I can. Beautiful. So powerful. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, ladies, for this opportunity. Seriously, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, we'd love to have you back in the future. So yes, put a please. pin in that. So we'll be in touch. Okay. So, <laughs> friends, if you found these conversations helpful, please consider subscribing, rating, and sharing this podcast with others. Your actions might just be a lifeline for others seeking help, encouragement, and support. For more updates, insight, and community engagement, be sure to follow us on social media. Find us on Instagram at b.brt.podcast. And we have a, a private Facebook group as well called Trail Recovery Transformation for Christian Women. And we'd love to see you there. Yes. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in and being a part of our podcast community. Your support is valuable. And we're here to serve you. Remember that healing is a journey, not a destination. And as we navigate the path of recovery and transformation together, know that you're never alone. Stay strong, stay hopeful, and keep working toward your brighter, empowered future. And until next time, take good care and keep embracing your healing journey. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Betrayal Recovery Transformation Podcast with your hosts, Chris Rocha and Jen Howie. We hope you've been helped and encouraged. If you value the content we shared today, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review. This helps others find the show. Need personalized guidance? Please contact Chris or Jen for transformative coaching. This episode has been brought to you by HealingWithTheHowies.com, WatermarkCoach.com, and with the support of Pure Life Alliance Ministries.